Welcome to the Humor in Games podcast, an analog and video games podcast about how humor is experienced, designed, and analyzed in games. We are Scott DeYoung, Mark Lajeunesse, and Andre Zanescu, and we'll be your guides in this six-episode series. Throughout each episode, we'll break down different theories and forms of humor. We'll draw on interviews with designers, critics, and academics as they discuss the different aspects of humor, their own lived experiences, and how their work utilizes humor in games. This week on the podcast, we're looking at three connected aspects of games that generate humor, narrative, game mechanics, and game physics. To lead us into those concepts, here's Osama Dorius, Director of Operations at WB Games Montreal, to tell us about the funniest game he's played. Um, it's hard to narrow it down to just one because there's two different um, categories of humor in games that or, or, or different approaches to humor in games that I would think of almost simultaneously. One is like the game writing is good, like the dialogue is good, the delivery is good, it's funny. Uh, and the first one that comes to mind is like either Portal 1 or Portal 2, the Portal series. I find those games hilarious. Uh, just in, in GLaDOS and, and her uh, dialogue, like there are other contenders, but those are the first ones that come to mind. But the other is like in terms of the mechanics, the, or, or like you know how the, the actual realization of the game itself, like it, some kind of emergent humor. Uh, I would think of something so, like um, Octodad. Have you ever played Octodad? Yeah, yes. yeah, yeah. Like that kind of game. It, like specifically Octodad is probably the first one that comes to mind. I don't know if it's the funniest one I've played, but that it's impossible to play Octodad and not laugh. You can't. So, on the one hand, we have game writing, the stories written into games, or what's more commonly referred to as narrative. On the other hand, we have the mechanics. What do you do in the game, and how do you accomplish what you do, both in an objective sense, but also according to the rules and laws of the game as designed? What does something as intrinsic to the experience as movement look or feel like? And on the third hand, Osama mentions emergence. This is what players do that is, to a large degree, unplanned for by designers. And while emergence isn't always funny, it can be one of the most memorable aspects of gameplay. Narrative is interesting for us because while a few games come up with the people that we've spoken to, like Portal or the early LucasArts adventure games, there is a sense that game narratives, even the funny ones, have trouble being funny. Here's Narf talking about comedic timing in games. Yeah, some people way smarter than me have have written articles and texts about like what what how to do something funny and how to write uh, funny moments and make the player laugh in games i'm pretty sure it was like tim schafer who wrote stuff like it's all about all about the timing like you need you need the setting you need the game kind of have to tell you like okay, now here comes a funny moment and then build up to it and then tell the joke and then you, and then it's, you laugh. Right. So, but that's when you try to write a cutscene or a dialogue that is funny. And to, I think this is probably not the best way of making a funny game. Narf mentions Tim Schafer, the designer of the LucasArts adventure games, which are famous for having funny narrative elements. But these narrative elements don't always work. We're going to hear from Dietrich Squinkifer and Dr. Dan Staines on their differing perspective on the LucasArts adventure games. 
So um, there are a lot of games that do come to mind, but um, I guess like the ones that stand out to me um, and that I have like um, historically found very inspiring um, in terms of my own work have been um, like the LucasArts adventure games of the 90s, like Monkey Island and Day of the Tentacle and Sam and Max and Grim Fandango. Um, so those were like very, very formative games for me. And um, like they are also great examples of where like a lot of humor was um, built into the game mechanics um, and the puzzles. Um, so like, um, yeah, that definitely had an impact on me. The narrative elements of the LucasArts games blend with the puzzle mechanics of the game, but they don't always work. Back in the, I think it was probably started in the late 80s through to, say, the mid-90s or the mid to late 90s, uh, LucasArts, which was a developer owned by Lucasfilm, who makes the Star Wars movies and such, uh, sort of became famous for developing this brand of adventure games, uh, these point-and-click adventure games, where it, they were sort of very sort of uh, self-referential, very sort of ironic, very kind of uh pop culture driven humor where basically what would happen is they would set up a puzzle and the the solution to the puzzle would also be sort of the punchline to the joke that is the puzzle so you would do something humorous to solve the puzzle and that would be the punchline to the setup and so yeah that was basically a really popular sort of genre for a little bit and um it's kind of referenced as like the sort of prototypical example of video game humor but if you don't find sort of referential comedy funny and you don't find that very kind of traditional setup punchline kind of humor funny, uh, which I don't, uh, you won't get a lot out of those games. The narrative elements of these games are tied to its puzzles. In order to solve the puzzles, you need to be in on, but not necessarily laugh at, the joke. That's the whole mechanical premise of the game. The joke is the mechanic. But this kind of narrative puzzle is only one way a game mechanic interacts with narrative. Often, when we think of narrative, it's in how the script is written, what the storyline of the game is, but the narrative itself can be the emergent story that players form through play, and those experiences are more often than not tied to game mechanics. Narf has one example. Some games have pretty much no writing, but are super funny, and I'm thinking of, oh, what's the name? Watam. It's the latest game by the creator of, of Katamari Damacy, which was kind of funny and also weird. And now he made uh, Watam. And there's pretty much no dialogue or very little. Um, it's all speech, uh, like speech icon. They, they speech with icons and stuff. But there's some really funny moment in there when you play with other people around. For those who don't know, Katamari Damacy is a game about a ball that starts small and rolls over objects, picking them up one by one until the ball grows and grows and grows and grows. And it's pretty funny. When the ball gets bigger because of all the things it's running over and picking up, it's producing humor. Partly because the premise is ridiculous, but also because the mechanics produce laughter while propelling the game forward as a game. All through the world-crushing shenanigans, the ball, beginning from this small thing that eventually becomes an enormous, city-spanning sphere of chaos, tells a story, a kind of narrative. But not in the same way as literature or film would produce a story, and so the humor wouldn't necessarily come about the same way. Brendan Keogh weighs in on the challenge of thinking games through narrative versus mechanics. 
the thing that's like fundamental to video games above all else like is movement like that is a thing always that is kind of fundamental to a video game experience is some form of movement whether that's the movement of like virtual objects through a virtual space um the simulation of physics or whatnot um the managed movement the imagined movement um for a text adventure game or just like the movement of your hand on the mouse cursor or the movement of your eyes or screen the movement of like the laser of a cathode ray tube tv like refreshing the image over and over like there is always movement which i think is kind of um really core to what video games do so even more so than in i would say like film or something which is defined by movement in other ways um and and so i think like the kind of humor you see most common in games is is the kind of humor that's centered on movement whether that's like on physicality on um physics on on slapstick and stuff like that because i think that's what games do especially well for all the focus on narrative in games which i think is a massive red herring that game studies in particular has a lot to answer for where we often say narrative in games and all we mean is literally everything except the mechanics um and yeah there's, there's a whole bunch of other experiences that just simply narrative is not the most useful way to describe it and and so i think like simulation physics movement that's what games are good at that's kind of core to the video game experience and i think that leads both consciously and subconsciously in design to that kind of humor um that is based on either the simulated physics of what's going on on the screen and how different objects in the game world are in, and subjects are interacting and in the physical world of what the player is doing in front of the screen whether they're being very careful and whatnot with the mouse and then stuff up or um, fall over on a dance mat or whatever and yeah and that doesn't mean you can't have other kinds of humor you can have good writing um like grace Buster and chris ligman and others have done but yeah but i think that leads to physics being kind of a primary form of humor you see in games because that's kind of the primary form of expression in games is physics so movement and physics are one way of thinking through where the humor comes in mechanically, but there are also different ways of thinking about games that produce humorous results. Kyler from Clever Endeavor Games told us about how they painstakingly worked on Ultimate Chicken Horse to produce the humorous aspects of playing through a match of the game, and why humor can be of crucial importance for any game. I'm pretty sure I can remember, like, the biggest things I remember about being like, oh, this is funny, and I have to make it funnier, were always around the the deaths and the okay. the physics around the death um because most platformer games you die and then like it's time to restart right away like mm -hmm. super meat boy you touch a saw and it's splat and uh mario you'd fall in a pit and you're just done or you hit an enemy and you do that funny mario animation death animation and it's pretty like it's over it's, whereas in our game you die and then the game is still going because the other people are still alive. Mm -hmm. So your body has a long time to do stuff if yeah. that's the case. And like, yeah. I don't remember when we decided that the bodies should stay present. Because mm -hmm. um, you certainly could just have them poof away after you die. But we left them around and then just funny stuff started happening. And then we started tweaking the the physics right. a bit so that the funny stuff happened more like the earliest ones would be the like the arrow shooter when it hits you with arrows 
it does a little bit of a knock knockback and the way that that knockback i think there's there's probably slightly different knockback for once your body's dead and then the way the arrows go in it like if the arrows went in it like pierced your body your little animal bodies yeah. and yeah. did it over and over again in the same way you wouldn't see all of the arrows so i right. actually like added code that would make them splay out a little bit so it looks funnier and things like uh what are some other big ones that like when we did the punching plant the arc that the punching plant punches you in is specifically designed so that two punching plants can play volleyball with you if you set them up adjacent to each other and they'll just do it forever oh it just and one big thing was like during like after the first game jam and once we were becoming more serious there was a a time when i had to go very deep into making the animation better and a big part of that or a reasonably big part of that was the death animations of like there's um there's like four or five different states that your body can have of like falling down flying up uh on the ground there's some animations of like the moment of impact when you get hit by something your body kind of almost looks like it's being electrocuted uh so all of that stuff was very intentional to let the death physics work well in the case of Ultimate Chicken Horse, these elements are designed, but they are designed such that as players piece them together in different ways, new combinations of animations and new movements will emerge. The attention to detail and the physics of the game support a player-driven narrative and emergent humor. Even though the designers may have expected players to do these things, it appears unexpected. A product of exploring play, and not something designed to be funny, even though to some degree, it is. Glitches are another layer of funny, unexpected emergence that games themselves contribute while playing. It isn't just players playing in unexpected ways, but games behaving in unexpected ways. Brendan Keough talks about this. Something irreverent, uncanny, possibly even campy, but like, I'm not going to commit to that one in terms of like, just watching a, this perfectly photorealistic body in this perfectly photorealistic world that like some massive corporation has spent years and decades of money and technology and marketing in convincing people that's what they should want in video games this perfect serene perfect simulation and then a body just gets stuck in a doorway and vibrates violently as it just works its way up the door frame um like like that's hilarious just watching i don't know like kind of like just watching like i don't know this posh uppity gentleman being hit in the face of a custard pie or something like there's something really funny there about just watching the simulation do something it's not meant to do um, at that, just right there, smack bang in the middle of the uncanny valley. Um, and I think, and again, to go back to Skate Free Glitch videos, like that's why that's so good. And it's why there's this really great video on YouTube of like just, <laughs> of just like a goat climbing a ladder in, in some video game. I don't even know what it is. And the dude who's playing it just absolutely loses his shit. He's just crying at this goat just climbing a ladder. Like it's, and like it just moves up the ladder um, while just staying, just standing in its idle animation, just moves up the ladder, and you know it's a pretty clear glitch of what's going on. But it's very funny, and of course the dude's reaction to it um, adds a huge aspect of that. But yeah, there's just something there about the game industry's obsession, or even like fetishization of photorealism and perfect simulation, and just this straight facedness. Yeah, of game industry's desire for photorealism and those systems breaking. Um, but it's just 
very funny, and which is exactly what Goat Simulator tries to deliberately target, I think. And, and yeah. in a sense, but to some extent also, like, by doing it deliberately kind of loses the humour at the same time. Like, it's not as funny um, watching someone dressed up as a Nazi punched in the face on a stage isn't going to be as funny as watching a real Nazi get punched in the face. Um, and I think that's probably the same with Ghost Simulator. It's still funny. It still produces that, but it's trying to produce that. So it's not as funny as when it happens in Skyrim or when it happens in Skate Free or something like that. Unexpected humor comes through often in indie game design, not just because the games are often made quickly with small teams and so are prone to bugs, but because they can avoid the conventions of game design to produce unexpected experiences. Let's hear from two indie game designers talking about a couple of their own games, Ida Toft on Earth Plays and Squinky on Robot Slowdance. So basically I had all these um, Earth signals that I captured with these DIY antennas, and then I hooked them up to a Nintendo DS console that was playing a game called um, Zombies Ate My Neighbor, which is a game from 1993, uh, in which two siblings are called Julie and Seki. They're hanging around in this garden, basically, and then zombies appear. And uh, Julie has this very funny, amazing squirt gun that she just like goes around and shoot everything with um so i was just hooking it up kind of that, and that's where the name comes from like earth play because these are like earth uh, signals that are playing this game and uh, and i was just watching what kind of gameplay would appear and and they and this very smart tactic actually worked in which julie walks around in the garden and then she hides in the bushes and she would just hide there like on for hours until I disconnect the game. And yeah. some people are not able to find her. <laughs> and she'll just be there with her squirt gun every couple of seconds. And uh yeah, I don't know. She never she never advances to the next level. But I think she's okay. Robot Slow Dance um is uh, a game that gave me a lot of joy to make. Um so basically the premise is what if Rock'em Sock'em robots, but instead of fighting robots, they were awkwardly slow dancing flirty robots. Um, so they're uh, so what I so like, um, I have kind of like saying, uh, using motors and uh, and arcade controls, I've sort of developed this like physical animatronic game in a suitcase where you um like move these robots around um they're like kind of like standing um like a bit apart from each other with their arms stretched out um not quite touching like definitely like saving room for jesus or whatever um but uh but yeah like uh but also like them not touching is intentional because um i didn't want players to damage the robots by whacking them against each other like you can with something like rock'em sock'em robots um and so like as you're dancing, um, the robots have these like uh, procedurally generated flirty quips that um, are like, uh, it's like, what would a robot say um, if they were like 
if if they were trying to flirt with another robot, um, like like talking about their microprocessors or like complimenting their servos and and stuff like that. Um, and uh, there and like actually. If you move the robots in sync with each other, um, then their dialogue gets like a lot more flirty, which is something that people maybe don't necessarily notice if they are sort of like just one off, like trying out the game. Um, but uh, like, if you kind of like, if you spend a lot of time with it, that's like one of the things that you can discover. Um, and yeah, it's and yeah, it's lasts about two minutes, um, like about like less than a length of a song, but uh, like the music is kind of like this loop of the intro to um, the song "True" by Spandau Ballet, and um, like very iconic like MIDI version of this like. 80s riff that everybody recognizes it's like oh yes this is a slow dance experimental games are interesting in thinking about humor because they aren't necessarily meant to be funny but because compared to what we're used to a lot of games about leveling up or shooting guns or swords and sorcery the topics forms or mechanics of experimental games often generate laughter even when that's not the goal of the game we're going to end this episode where we started, with Osama Dorius on one of his favorite funny games, Octodad, a game about raising a family with eight wiggly arms that you can barely hold on to. It's impossible to play Octodad and not laugh. You can't. It's not, I mean, maybe if you play it alone, but if you play it co-op, there's no way you don't laugh. It's made for you to laugh. Even you're laughing through frustration sometimes, so... <laughs> Osama highlights another missing piece when considering humor in games, playing with friends another layer to the funny onion that we're going to explore on the next episode of the Humor and Games podcast. Thanks to our contributors for this episode, Dr. Dan Staines, Osama Dorius, Dr. Brendan Keogh, Kyler, Squinky, Edith Toft, and Narf.